Thank you. Good morning. So like Derwin said, I was asked to come up here today and talk about fasting. And I think this is probably because I have a big mouth and I let it slip accidentally to the wrong person that fasting is something I'm really passionate about. And whenever I tell people that, I kind of get strange looks like, really? Fasting? Like, that's a weird thing to be passionate about. Uh, but we're going to get to that in a few minutes. First, I have to give you some backstory, like Derwin said, um, because if I'm going to tout the benefits of any of the spiritual disciplines, I think that the best way to do so is by showing you the impact that they've had in my life and how uh, transformative they've been for me over the past couple of years. So my life story was on track to be titled The Dangerously Hurried Life if God hadn't stepped in and done some major editing. Um, everything that Derwin's been speaking about for the past few weeks has described me and my life story perfectly. It's been a little bit painful, honestly. <laughs> um, I was weary, and I was burdened, and I was really far from Jesus, and I just honestly didn't know how I was going to turn things around. I felt like the world was collapsing in on me, and I turned everywhere I could think of for help, except to God. Um, as most people who get chronically busy can relate to, God is usually like the one thing that we can't find time for in our schedules when we get busy. If there's anything that I want you to take away from this story that I'm about to share, it's this. Later on, I'm going to talk about the spiritual disciplines and the role that they've played in my life and um, just how like, sort of dedicated I've become to them. And I don't want you to look at me and think that I'm able to do that because I'm somehow like, super competent or I have it all together. That is the farthest thing from the truth. Um, it's not out of my competence that I've learned about spiritual discipline. It's actually uh, out of my brokenness and my emptiness. Um, and learning to do them has brought me back to life. Um, the holy habits of Jesus are not something that we do out of our own strength. They're not something that we can add to our to-do lists, like after, like, do the laundry, do the dishes, go shopping, oh yeah, pray. It's not like that. Um, God wants us to come to him in our mess and in that chaos and ask him for help. He wants us to recognize that he truly is everything that we need, the source of both our strength and our comfort. So this talk is going to unfold in three parts. First, I'm going to give you as concise as possible a version of my uh, descent into the dangerously hurried life and how Jesus pulled me back up and helped me to find rest through spiritual discipline. Uh, then we're going to go for a deep dive into fasting, and we're going to get into all the nitty-gritty details of how to do that. And then we're going to zoom back out and put it together and look at how fasting actually helps us to reorient our lives around Jesus. Okay, so like many people, uh, I grew up believing that my worth as a person and um, my lovability as a person depended on how productive I was, uh, how much I could achieve, and how well I could meet other people's needs. There were a couple of influential people in my life who did their best to convince me that I didn't have what it took to succeed in life. 
but I'm really stubborn, <laughs> and I, I didn't believe them, so I set out to prove them wrong. Um, I committed myself to working as hard as I could to just be the best at everything, whether it was sports or school or um, business, friendships, marriage, parenting, whatever it was, I had to be the best at it. Um, I had to prove that I was capable of doing everything at once. Um, I strove to achieve and, achieve and produce more and more. And though I didn't get the approval I was looking for from those people, the messaging that I received from the rest of the world was that this level of productivity is really good, like keep it up. So I became addicted to being busy and getting things done. I started a website called Mama Does It All about 10 years ago or so, so that I could teach other people how to do it all too. I wish that wasn't true, but it is. I was even gonna get t-shirts made. It was all good. This cycle of endless busyness worked just fine for me, until it didn't. There came a point, <laughs> Shortly after we had our fourth child, our first boy, uh, where I, could, I couldn't keep up anymore. Um, I couldn't meet those standards of productivity that I had imposed on myself. It was like literally all I could do just to like, keep my family alive and feed them and uh, maybe have them look presentable when we went out of the house. And that just wasn't going to cut it for me. That wasn't enough of an accomplishment uh, for me to have, uh, even for a short season. I needed to be doing more. And I fell into what I now can look back on and realize was a full-blown identity crisis. Who was I if I wasn't the woman who did it all? And why was I even here at all if I didn't have anything valuable to offer the world? So that was a really dark season. <laughs> uh, for the whole first year of my son's life, I was barely coping, but I couldn't really articulate what was going on with me. Um, I didn't tell anyone besides my husband just how much I was struggling. And, uh, you know, I shared in December just a quick testimony about this and how uh, God had helped me to overcome this. And someone said, like, how did we not know this is what was going on with you? Like, how did nobody know this? And I, I think, I hope, I was just really good at hiding it. I didn't want anyone to know. I was really ashamed at my epic failure as a parent and as a person. I thought I should be here, and I was here, and I didn't want you guys to know that. And I also didn't think there was anything that anyone could do to help if they did know. Like, I didn't want sympathy. I didn't want encouragement. I just wanted to figure out how to get over this and move on so I could start producing again. Um, but then something happened in the spring of 2018, and I got a wake-up call that I just couldn't ignore. It was a Sunday morning, uh, and the night before, quite late at night, we had just finished this event that had been consuming my time and my energy for months, and I was so relieved to be done with it. And even though we were super exhausted, we came to church anyway. And I went home and just sort of collapsed into this chair. I had nothing left. And I was there for probably less than a minute. And as my mind and my body just settled into this stillness, um, I started to get really restless. And I, this wave of sadness and desperation came over me. And I realized I can't be alone by myself in silence for even a minute. Um, I was just going crazy. I didn't know what to do. But that wasn't the wake-up call. <laughs> the real wake-up call was my response to this. Uh, my instinctive reaction to this overwhelming state of exhaustion wasn't to get some sleep or to do something fun with my family, maybe have some friends over. 
it was to start a new project. <laughs> if I just jumped into something else, I would be fine. And that's when I knew I had a real problem. You might say I was in need of an intervention. So I put down the list of project ideas that I had already started drawing up. <laughs> and I made another list. This one contained all of the things in life that were overwhelming me. It was three pages long. But the last item on the list was the only one that really mattered. I had written, I am spiritually famished. My life was more than full, it was overflowing, but I was starving for a relationship with Jesus, and so I felt like I had nothing. And over the next few weeks, things slowly started to turn around. I asked God to show me what he wanted me to dedicate myself to if it wasn't all of these things. And in a then rare moment of spiritual clarity, I heard him really clearly say, let me teach you how to take a real rest. And I was driving in my van when this happened. Um, I was on my way to Hillside for a meeting, and I just parked in the lot and closed my eyes, and I said, I need that more than anything. It soon became apparent that what he was asking me to give up was pretty much everything in my life. Um, it was like the story in Luke 18 where Jesus asked the rich young ruler to give up all his possessions and come follow him. Only he wasn't asking me to give up my possessions. He was asking me to give up the things that were possessing me so I could follow him. And even though it was crazy and difficult and hard to explain to everyone, and I felt like um, as I you know, quit all the things I was doing, I felt like I was really letting people down. Um, I, we did it anyway as a family. It was really the only choice that we saw. Um, we entered into what we came to think of as a Sabbath year. So as I started to pursue this new rest, I, I came to Derwin and I asked for some resources and he gave me this amazing book called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And keep in mind, I hadn't learned much yet. <laughs> I tried to read it as quickly and efficiently as I could. It's got 12 chapters. I was like, yeah, I can bang this out in like two weeks. I've got this. Uh, but it didn't work. You know, I was just trying to go through it. Oh, yeah, that's how you pray. Okay, that's how you meditate. Got it. Uh, but there was too much to learn, and reading about it wasn't suffice. I felt God was saying, I need you to live this. I need you to spend a whole year just living this. Um, he wanted me to learn these holy habits and set them as the foundation of my life before I could add anything else back in. And so I decided to spend 2019 studying one discipline each month. I read everything I could find about spiritual disciplines, again, overachiever, <laughs> and devoted myself to practicing them as fully as I could. Each week, I took on a new spiritual discipline challenge to see what Jesus was wanting to teach me. And in doing so, uh, this was the key thing that I learned. What the dangerously hurried life has at its core is a loss of its center of gravity. When we are dangerously hurried, we are no longer orbiting around Christ. It doesn't necessarily mean that we've lost sight of him completely, that you know he's just out of the picture, but we're whirling around other things other than him. Or to put it in another way, we're building our lives on a shaky foundation that isn't going to hold up. The spiritual disciplines are sometimes referred to in two groups, the disciplines of abstinence and the disciplines of engagement. They are all important and they have their own role to play um, in increasing our awareness of God's presence and deepening our relationship with Jesus. And it, they are sort of most helpful when we practice them in conjunction with each other. 
But what really surprised me the most was how powerful the disciplines of abstinence are. These are the types of disciplines that we've been studying in this series, things like solitude and silence and um, fasting and slowness. Until I learned about these disciplines, I had been trying to build my life on a foundation of love and approval from other people. I spent more than 30 years trying to do everything possible to earn those things, but they were a weak foundation, and so I kept slipping. But then, in just one year, God reoriented me toward an entirely new foundation. He showed me that in doing less, in abstaining from certain behaviors, either permanently or just for a period of time, I could perceive with more certainty than ever the infinite love that was already mine. And not just in a, yeah, I know, Jesus loves me kind of a way, but in an intimate and personal relationship with the one who is the source of all love. As we often sing about here at Hillside, this love is a firm foundation on which to build our lives. So practicing spiritual discipline reorients our attention. It slows us down and it pulls us back into Christ's orbit. Um, it helps us to build our life on his love and a life that is centered around him. Um, and this is true of all the spiritual disciplines and we need them in different ways and at different times we need them um, more or less. Uh, but for me personally, fasting has been the most powerful discipline um, in, in terms of that reorientation and that is why I'm so excited about it. So what exactly is fasting, and what does it have to do with learning to walk in the unhurried way of Jesus? If you haven't practiced it before, it might seem strange that simply taking a break from eating for a day or even half a day could have a profound impact on your life. It doesn't quite add up, does it? So let me walk you through some of the basics of fasting, like what it is and why and how we do it, and then we'll talk about how it reorients our life around Jesus. When we look at fasting as a spiritual discipline, we're talking about um, taking a break from food for a set period of time for spiritual purposes. The Bible depicts three types of fasts, normal, partial, and absolute. So the normal fast evol involves abstaining from all food, whether solid or liquid, but not from water, usually for 24 hours or longer. The partial fast calls for a restricted diet over a set period of time. So this could be something like um, the Daniel fast, which has become quite popular these days, and that's where you basically eat like a vegetarian or a vegan diet for two to three weeks. And it could also take the form of the fast carried out by Elijah and John the Baptist, in which they were restricted to one or two foods for um, a period of time. Uh, for example, locusts and honey. <laughs> we can all sign up for that one. <laughs> but it could also mean just skipping one or two meals a day. So what a lot of people do is um, they might have a 12-hour fast from 6 to 6, and they might just have uh, like a bowl of oatmeal in the morning and then fast all day and have maybe soup or salad for dinner. And, and that can be helpful if you're wanting to fast for a longer period of time. Some people might do that for a month, um, and it's, it's more sustainable to do it like that. Um, but another version of the partial fast is to abstain from something other than food, particularly something else that you find yourself becoming super dependent on. Um, and this can 
This can be great for people who aren't able to fast from food for whatever reason. Um, for many of us, this could mean fasting from our cell phones or our other pieces of technology, which might even be harder than fasting from food. It requires more discipline for sure. And the final type of fast mentioned in the Bible is the absolute fast in which people take uh, no food or water. And as our bodies are kind of made to need those things, we actually can't go for, without water for more than a few days. Uh, so this type of fast is only recommended for really exceptional circumstances and only as led by God. Um, so for example, Esther in uh, Esther 4.16, Queen Esther called for an absolute fast for all of her people before uh, she implemented her plan for saving them. And the 40-day fasts carried out by Moses and Elijah and Jesus were also absolute fasts. But for the purposes of this talk and for any sort of community fasting that we do here at Hillside, uh, we would only be focusing on normal and partial fasts. So let's take a look at some of the biblical precedent for fasting and what it means for us today. Is it even something that we should be worried about in 2020? We don't hear about it as much anymore, um, so maybe it doesn't matter. But fasting comes up again and again in the Old Testament. We see prophets, leaders, servants, mothers, fathers, kings and queens fasting for various reasons. They fasted for victory. Uh, they fasted when they were mourning their losses. They fasted for the desires of their heart and for the faithlessness of their communities. They fasted alone, and they fasted together. Um, here's a few examples. Just have the Bible references up there. So Hannah fasted and prayed fervently for the Lord to give her a baby. David fasted as he pleaded desperately for God to spare his son's life. All of Israel went up to Bethel and fasted after the Benjamites killed 40,000 of their men. And after Ezra read the book of the law to them, the Israelites fasted as they confessed their sins. But one of the most significant pictures of fasting in the Bible is Jesus' 40-day fast in the wilderness as he prepared to do battle with Satan. After emerging victorious from this event, we might have expected Jesus to give us step-by-step -step instructions on the importance and the intricacies of fasting, like how to get through 40 days without food or water, or how to starve yourself so you can conquer Satan. But he didn't. Instead, he actually freed us from the legalities of fasting that had distorted its ability to glorify God, and he showed us how to put God first in our fast. That's what he was most concerned about. So while he didn't command us to fast per se, his teachings on the topic indicated that he assumed we would, which we see in the following verses. Uh, Mark 2, 19 and 20. Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken from them and then they will fast. And Matthew 6, 17 and 18. When you fast, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. As Arthur, Waller, Arthur Wallace writes in God's Chosen Fast, he left us in no doubt that he took it for granted that his disciples would be exercised to obey the leading of the Spirit in this, as in praying and giving when the occasion demanded it. 
Although fasting was a normal part of life for both Jews and Christians over thousands of years, it's become less popular in the past uh, couple hundred years. Our modern culture tends to idolize pleasure and self-indulgence, but we don't really look too highly on self-denial. We're not that keen on it. But perhaps a little bit of self-denial is exactly what we need if we're going to reorient our lives. When we temporarily deny ourselves through fasting, we acknowledge our total dependence on God. We allow ourselves to confront our unnatural dependence on food as a source of comfort, as a distraction from the aspects of life that we'd rather avoid. Dallas Willard didn't hold back when describing the effects of this self-denial. He wrote, it will certainly prove humiliating to us as it reveals to us how much of our peace depends upon the pleasures of eating. It may also bring to mind how we are using food pleasure to assuage the discomforts caused in our bodies by faithless and unwise living and attitudes. Lack of self-worth, meaningless work, purposeless existence, or lack of rest or exercise. Sound kind of familiar? <laughs> And I know that you're sitting there right now saying, yes, that's exactly what I need. I can't wait to be humiliated. And I don't blame you. I felt the same way. So let's dive into the practical aspects of fasting. And don't worry, we're going to get to the point where it actually does seem worthwhile. So how do we fast? Clearly, our relationship with food has changed over the past 2,000 years. We love our food, right? We really, really love our food. <laughs> Some of us feel like we're going to faint if we eat even an hour or two later than we usually do. And the idea of going a whole day without food is terrifying. And to be sure, there are, like I mentioned before, some people who have conditions that, uh, don't, that make it not a good idea for them to fast. But for most of us, I think that we just need some knowledge and practice to get used to this. As we start to develop a habit of fasting, we need to consider the physical aspects of the practice as well as the heart stance with which we enter into it. Intentionality is required in both of these for fasting to work its full effect in us. Just like any new practice, we should ease ourselves into fasting. You wouldn't run a marathon, hopefully, without any training. And likewise, you shouldn't jump into something like a multi-day fast without some practice. A good way to ease into fasting can be starting out with partial fasts. So skipping one or two meals in a day, like I mentioned before, the six to six thing, and doing this several times before working your way up to a 24-hour fast. When you're ready to do a full-day fast, there's going to be a temptation to eat a ton the night before. You're going to think like, OK, it's fine. I'm just going to go to the buffet the night before. I'll eat like a day's worth of food, and then I'll be fine tomorrow. Uh, but for anyone who's ever done that, you probably know it doesn't work that way. Uh, that's not how your stomach is built. <laughs> um, and it's actually going to be counterproductive. You're going to be a lot hungrier. What we actually want to do before we fast is sort of wean our way down uh, off of food and end with a very small meal the night before um, so that our stomach isn't expecting this other big meal in the morning. <laughs> this one I'm a little bit scared to talk about. <laughs> but um, if you are a coffee drinker, uh, it can be helpful to actually start weaning yourself off coffee the day before, or a couple of days before. I know. I'm like going over there because all my favorite coffee drinkers are on this side of the room. <laughs> 
or people I know who really love coffee. They're all over here. Uh, but you know, if you've ever tried to break that coffee habit, you know, like you get headaches, you don't feel well. Um, it's actually painful. And when you're combining that withdrawal with the hunger pains that you're going to have when you're fasting and low energy and um, spiritual attacks, it, that's going to be a lot to handle. So you can actually make it easier on yourself by uh, trying to cut down on the coffee first. And some people, you know, and myself included, will sometimes have that morning cup of coffee before fasting just because that's what it takes. And that's okay too. <laughs> um, one of the most encouraging things that I've learned about fasting is that what we experience as hunger pains are generally not indicative of true hunger. Our bodies get really used, just like our, our kids, right? They get used to eating at certain times, and that's when they want to be fed. Uh, we like our three meals a day with our snacks in between and our dessert at the end. And when, we, when they don't get it, they're like, hey, what's going on? It's lunchtime. Feed us. Fill us up. And um, usually this isn't true hunger. It's just our body's internal alarm going off. And so what you can do when that happens is just drink some water and wait a little bit, and usually those pains will go away. Um, true hunger usually doesn't set in for several days. Um, you may feel less energetic and more irritable when you're fasting. That would be perfectly normal. Uh, sometimes, though, I've actually been surprised to experience the opposite, and I have felt calmer and more patient when I'm fasting. And that is something that I can only chalk up to the grace of God, because even on the best of days, hunger or hunger-induced anger is a very real problem for me. Um, Mentally, you may feel drained, but you could also feel energized about the work God is doing. Um, it's, it's hard to predict what's going to happen during a fast. Um, you're going to go through a lot of things physically and emotionally, and for that reason, it's good, if possible, to plan your fast on a day when you have a bit more margin in your schedule, where um, you could take a nap if you had to, or you're not going to be racing around and trying to get a lot of things done. It's really helpful if, if you just have a little bit more space for processing everything that's going on with you. Now, if you're fasting for 24 hours or less, there's not a lot you have to think about when you break your fast. Um, your stomach will have shrunk a little bit, and it can be helpful just to break your fast with a small meal. So again, not going straight to the buffet. Uh, but other than that, after this first small meal, you should be able to just eat as normal. Um, we're not going to go into multi-day fasts today, but that can also be an incredibly profound experience if you feel God is calling you into that. And if so, you can come and talk to me either today or in the future, and I can help give you resources for that, like Derwin mentioned earlier. But in addition to the physical considerations, you also want to prepare your heart and spirit before shifting into fasting mode. You wouldn't send a soldier into battle unarmed. And if our spirits are to do spiritual battle during our fast, they must put on their armor too. In the days leading up to your fast, you want to speak to God about the plan. Um, pray a lot. Ask him to lead you in, like, why does he want you to fast? What should you be praying about? What does he want you to uh, offer up to him? And how long and how should you be doing a partial fast or a full fast? Um, these are all things that he will lead you in. You can ask him to guard your heart against impure motives, which is something that comes up a lot <laughs> when you're fasting, um, and that he, his will would be at the center of your intentions. Also, pray for protection against spiritual attacks, because unfortunately, they will come. If you're someone who keeps a journal, you may want to write down the spiritual objectives of your fast. Um, what breakthroughs are you looking for? What answers are you hoping to receive from God? 
write them down because when you look back at them in the future, you're gonna have a record of God's faithfulness in your life. All of these things, this story that I'm sharing with you that's been building up over all these years, um, the reason why I can look back and see that story is because I've been writing it all down um, all the time. And particularly when I'm fasting, I'm writing down everything that God is saying to me. Um, So it can just be such um, a powerful tool for you in the future. Now, finally, let's get to the good part. What is this reward of fasting that God is promising us? What can we actually hope to gain by implementing this practice? And what makes it the antidote to the dangerously hurried life? Or maybe that's the wrong question, because fasting isn't something that we go into with the hopes of gaining, necessarily. Just as with prayer and giving, it's not a tit-for-tat deal that we're making with God where we're like, okay, I'll stop eating for a day, but here's what you're gonna do for me, right, God? Isaiah 58 gives us a striking picture of just how well that approach works. The Israelites were demanding to know why God was ignoring the sacrificial fasting they were doing on his behalf. What was the point of fasting, they wanted to know, if God wasn't going to give them what they wanted? They asked, Why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? To which he replied, Behold, on the day of your fast, you do as you please, and you oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with the fist. You cannot fast as you do today and have your voice be heard on high. Is this the fast I have chosen, a day for man to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? As we fast, we do well to remember that it is not a means of achieving personal gain. Above all, our primary motivation for fasting should be to move more into the will of the Father, allowing him to work in and through us, transforming us more into the image of Christ. It is through this process of transformation that we rebuild our lives with Jesus as the foundation. So briefly, here are three key things that we can expect to see happen as we open ourselves up to rely completely on God. Number one, the release of spiritual strongholds. Fasting is a weapon of spiritual warfare, and it's one way that we partner with God in tearing through strongholds that don't yield to prayer alone. When Jesus cast out particularly stubborn demons, he told his disciples, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. When we fast, we take a stand against the enemy, declaring that his work has no place in our lives. If we're living the dangerously hurried life, some strongholds that we might be fighting are the desire to please people instead of God, an inability to stop and rest, the temptation to say yes to every opportunity and request that comes our way, bitterness towards those around us who are slowing down or who are adding to our loads, jealousy towards those who achieve more than us or those who are able to rest more than we are, and anger rising up within us regularly. God always gives us what we need, and this is particularly true in fasting. He's right there with us in the midst of this. The thing is, sometimes what we need is to be strengthened and encouraged, and that's always what we want. But other times, what we need is a clear glimpse into our own sinfulness and brokenness. 
In the course of a 24-hour fast, we might expect to enter the depths of both of these experiences. We become acutely aware of just how many of our thoughts create distance between us and him. These thoughts are going to discourage us at first. Um, they can be really hard to process. But when we fast, we also find ourselves in this place of greater communion with God. We're having this ongoing communication with him, even as we're going about our regular days. And in that place, confessing and repenting of these sins is a natural part of our ongoing prayers. And we can lift these strongholds up to God. And he will release us from them and replace them with the more restful ways of Jesus. Number two. A heightened experience of the other spiritual disciplines. So Derwin talked um, a couple of weeks ago about how his senses were heightened when eating in a completely dark restaurant. And in a similar way, our spiritual senses are heightened when we choose to abstain from food and rely solely on God. Bible study is more enlightening. Our prayers go deeper. Our heart for service is reawakened. Fasting also humbles us and leads us into both confession and submission. We see our need for God more clearly, and we find ourselves depending on him for strength moment to moment. It's also easier to embrace the call to simplicity during a fast. Fasting leads us away from the hurried life. It strips away so much of the unnecessary. Because our energy is reduced, we focus only on what is most important. Our focus and energy seem more valuable to us, like we can actually perceive a physical cost to expending them, and so we take care to use them where they're most needed, loving God, loving our families, and paying attention to our own physical needs in a way that paradoxically both encourages self-care and realigns our understanding of just what our body actually needs. And number three, an increased awareness of the presence and sustenance of God. So later on in Isaiah 58, the Lord goes on to describe what a proper fast looks like. He then offers the most stunning of promises to those who fast in that way. Your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. The Lord will always guide you. He will satisfy you in a sun-scorched land and strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. I experienced this reward firsthand in the past few months. Two members of my family had medical emergencies within a couple of months of each other. And although the circumstances were completely different, there were several commonalities. Both events were sudden and urgent. Both had potentially serious consequences. And in both cases, the outcomes were pretty much entirely out of our hands. Both times, I felt God calling me to pray and fast until the emergency had passed. As you know by now, I'm a doer, and I need something to do. And as helpless as I was in these situations, I felt like um, fasting was the one way that I could actually do something to help. Now, within a few days, each of these situations resolved themselves. One 
miraculously so, and the other more ordinarily. And I'm definitely not daring to claim that my fasting had anything to do with that. That's not my place to say or to know. But what I do know is this, in that waiting place, where I would normally have experienced despair and restlessness, I had peace and comfort. I felt that I was partnering with the Lord in bringing about his will in each situation. I sensed his presence continuously and had greater clarity into into some of the spiritual aspects of what was going on with my family. And even in the midst of that chaos and uncertainty, I had reserves beyond my own from which to draw on, and they didn't come from food. I've been fasting on a regular basis now for about a year, and it's become as much a part of my time with God as prayer or Bible study or worshiping through song. But I would be lying if I told you that my life is substantially less busy than it used to be. Yes, I have cut a lot of things out, but new things have arisen to take their place. And honestly, I don't think that God is asking us to remove all busyness from our lives. Work and ministry and hospitality and relationships, a lot of the things that keep us busy, they're all part of our calling as Christians, and they're all opportunities for us to connect more deeply with Jesus and to participate in his kingdom work. But if your life is currently verging more on the dangerously hurried side, if the things on your to-do list feel more overwhelming than life-giving, if you've lost your center of gravity, or your firm foundation, then I would urge you to consider fasting as part of your spiritual discipline practice, because it is such an effective way to give our hearts the adjustment they need and reorient them back towards Jesus and our Heavenly Father, who is our provider and our strength and our sustenance. So I'm going to conclude by uh, reading you a poem by Arthur Wallace. I think it's It's really powerful, and it sums up the call to fasting as succinctly as can be done. With fasting. On Sinai's mount, with radiant face, to intercede for heaven's grace, upon a stubborn, wayward race, he fasted. Once lifted from the miry clay, when opposition came his way, the soldier king would often pray with fasting. A seer, possessed of vision keen, who told the troubled king his dream, had light on God's prophetic scheme through fasting. The prophetess in temple court beheld the babe the two had brought. For him she long had prayed and sought with fasting. He came to break the yoke of sin, but ere his mission could begin, he met the foe and conquered him with fasting. Set these apart, the spirit bade, a spring that soon vast rivers made, broke out by men who, as they prayed, were fasting. So shall they fast when I am gone? Was this no word to act upon? Ask countless saints who fought and won with fasting. When we shall stand on that great day and give account, what shall we say? If he should ask us, did you pray with fasting? Thank you.